Hey guys, just an FYI that there are some swear words in this episode, just in case you were thinking of like listening at a loud volume somewhere where you don't want that to be heard. Enjoy. Hi, I'm your host, Tavi Gevinson, and this is The Rookie Podcast. Thanks for joining us this week, and please be prepared for um, the sound of me laughing continuously, and also for you to probably laugh out loud and then be that person who's in public laughing to themselves alone while wearing headphones. Um, if you do end up looking like that, you should take a selfie of it and, and tweet it at, at Rookie. Anyways, joining me on the show today and making me laugh really hard is Alia Shawkat, an actor who you may know from Search Party. She has a new movie out this week called Paint It Black, and she was brought up in the business by a cast of comedic geniuses when she played maybe Funke on the TV show Arrested Development. You gotta enjoy making it and feel like you're coming up with good ideas while you're making it, otherwise, what's the point? because you have no idea how people are going to respond to stuff. I'm very excited for you to hear that interview, and I, again, apologize for my really distracting laughter throughout. But she's amazing and funny and has very insightful things to say. So we also threw a couple Ask a Grown questions at her, and uh, you'll hear those at the end of the episode. So don't complain, complain, complain. Just do get to that, it's time for Starter Pack. Starter Pack is usually an introduction to a different kind of music genre or subculture or time in history that you're maybe curious about, but you don't want to just like Google. This week, however, Dylan Tupper Rupert, the genius who invented the segment to begin with, was like, what if we do a Starter Pack for recovering from an existential crisis? And we were like, yeah, cause uh, that happens too. So here's Dylan. Um, I thought I was all alone out here, but it seems like you've joined me, so we might as well address where we are right now. Yeah, this is a black hole of meaninglessness. As it turns out, nothing matters. I checked. Our existences are futile in the grand scheme of the universe, so uh, go, go figure. It's chill though. Uh, here are some things you need when you're going through an existential crisis. One where you realize it's very possible that our lives have absolutely no meaning and they serve no purpose, and we're just tricked by society into thinking that we have any sort of control or inherent importance. But yeah, it's fine. It'll all be fine. We're, we're all fine. Anyway, here, here are some useful tools. Resource number one is the cold dark floor. Preferably bathroom because the tile is usually colder and cold is good. You know, 
because of the way the world is, please lay down on it with your face. Fetal position's a good one. While you're fetaling, why not try out some primal screaming? That should really get the, I'm just a weak baby trapped in a destructive system as the world continues to spin kind of kinks out. But if, like me, your distress is more quiet and resigned, just feel free to lay there a while. Perhaps forever, but I'd recommend at least one to four hours to start, because it's, it's good to practice before you commit. Resource number two is to go on YouTube and find that video of Kermit dressed up as David Byrne performing Once in a Lifetime by the Talking Heads. Are you scared about collapsing into a life of mundanity? Are you confused about your childhood icons and their symbolism and what they mean to you now? Well then let me ruin your life. With this frog of our collective childhood subconscious of memories and road trips and rainbow connections singing about slipping into a comatose middle-class existence of becoming an emotionally spineless adult trapped in a consumerist society it's like yeah those thoughts are already a thing and that songs are already a thing we know this but wait till kermit sings it to you in an oversized white suit okay like see you there on the other side of my childhood being ruined and one of my worst anxieties for the future being exposed as a possibility by a frog puppet singing everyone's white dad's 70s rock hit fave. How did I get here? Resource number three is your local playground. Okay, so don't get too close, because that's creepy, but also maybe don't sit too far away or like in your parked car because that's suspicious. Anyway, do you ever just look at little kids playing, trying to remember what joy is about and what the function of joy is? Also, why were slides even fun? Why is throwing your body as a variable into a gravitational equation a thing that's pleasant? Anyway, at this playground, you can look at the giggling babies and think to yourself, children truly don't understand. And yet, children have not even developed the need to understand. It's like this one time when I was four, I sat in the corner of a playground and thought literally what even is money but a man-made concept tendered by a physical symbol, and it was all downhill from there. Anyway, you can just go to that playground and think about innocence, I guess. Resource number four is water. When questioning your entire reason for being, or whether or not one even exists, it's important to stay hydrated, so drink plenty of water. Most doctors recommend eight glasses a day, but I don't even know who to trust anymore. Resource number five is dog. If all else fails, and you cannot find any meaning for why you are alive, welcome to the club. But also get a dog, maybe. Or just find one that likes you. They make you feel like you have a reason. It's just a trick to make us feel important, developed by generations of humans domesticating and breeding the formerly wild predators known as canines. But, like, 
you know, whatever gets you through the day or like the next 10 to 15 years, which is the average lifespan of most dogs. In conclusion, Thanks, Dylan. You can find Dylan's writing and her monthly advice based on your astrological sign at rookiemag.com. Up next on the Rookie Podcast, Alia Shawkat. Alia is an actor and painter and singer and now producer. She started acting when she was nine and a few years later landed a role on the TV show Arrested Development. The show won Emmys, and everyone knew it was amazing, but it got canceled after three seasons, but came back for one more season on Netflix back in 2013. And now it's coming back for another in 2018, because I guess the universe answered my prayers, because I really love that show and Alia's character, maybe. Alia has kept busy between shooting seasons of Arrested Development. She's shooting season two of Search Party, a TV show she stars in and co-produces on TBS. She co-wrote, directed, and stars in a film called Duck Butter. And she's the star of the new film, Paint It Black, that opened in theaters last week. So here's Alia and I talking about all of that and more, and again, me laughing a lot. Hi, Alia. Hi, Tavi. <laughs> um, thanks for, for being on the Rookie Podcast. Yeah, my pleasure. Uh, let's just jump right in. Okay, please. <laughs> Ask me and I'll answer honestly as best I can. Um, I want to start with Search Party, which okay. I really loved. Thank you. Binged, as it were. <laughs> um, you played Dory, someone who becomes obsessed with finding a girl who she went to college with who's gone missing. Mm-hmm. Um, what drew you to that part and to not only star in the show but produce it? Well, uh, I was sent the script um, on a lazy day in Los Angeles, <laughs> like any other non-working actor. <laughs> um, and I was like, let's see what this is all about. Um, Michael Showalter. Um, was the showrunner and I've been a huge fan of Stella uh, for a very long time and uh, Wet Hot American Summer just his sensibility and then um, Charles Rogers and Sarah Viola Bliss who are the creators um, they had been working on like the Wet Hot um, season that came back on Netflix and were writers on that and then they made a film um, called Fort Tilden that you know you could tell the similarity of their voices from that in Search Party but it's like, you know it's like kind of ridiculing these hipsters but in a just kind of in a different way I hadn't seen before it wasn't as like tongue-in-cheek like we're all laughing at hipsters because they go to like silly coffee shops it was like these characters were kind of unbearable yeah and it was like so you kind of hated them but like enjoyed disliking them and it was just like a different kind of sensibility of how to mock a generation that um, I thought was a lot funnier because you're not like laughing at them. You're kind of like laughing with them, if it makes sense, like because what they're doing is terrible. So they deserve it. Um, <laughs> we just kind of hit it off and they had thought about me for the part, which I was very flattered about. And I had ideas um, for the script, even though it was great. I just like character stuff and like how I thought of you know, who is Dory and all this <laughs> stuff. And they were very responsive. And we kind of shot the pilot like... Um, like an indie film with mm-hmm. this company, Jax. That's like really rad where they produce the pilot 
as you want to do it without any network attached. So you kind of make it just exactly the way you want to. Um, and then when it's done, you pitch it to a network. And then the network buys it for a season. And because of that format, it made uh, just like the developing of the characters and the ideas, even though it's just a pilot, um, so connected to all the actors. And like, you know, that's why they got to cast all the people they did who are like all amazingly talented people. Um, but at the time, maybe not as many people knew about them, you know? And, um, you know, primetime television wasn't calling my name. So <laughs> it was just like this very, like, kind of natural um, symbiosis, I guess you could Ooh. say. Is that a word? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Maybe, I think a little used it in the wrong way. But <laughs> the vibe, it's like a soup. That's what I wanted to say. So that's why I thought symbiosis. But, uh, yeah, it came out, like, really great, I think, because yeah. of that format. Because we got to be really involved. And then I got to be producer and stuff because I was like, I really want to be as involved in this as possible instead of just like showing up be like what am I reading right um but yeah I really care about it so I think it comes across in the show yeah definitely can I ask what about Dory you wanted to change or add in, from the that meeting yeah I wanted her to be like the whole idea of a character who's like a wallflower that gets kind of like pushed aside and like her friends don't listen to her mm-hmm. I was like she's not meek but she's just kind of like She's been doing it too long, and so she kind of forgot what she is. And uh, not that that wasn't, but I just wanted to specify that a lot. So I was like, I don't want her to seem like she's just a pushover who's like, anything you guys want. Yeah, I'm like, just a good friend. It's like she just does it out of happenstance because, like, she doesn't have anything else to do. So when someone's, like, asking her to do a favor, she's just like, oh, uh, yeah, okay, sure. Like, you know, she's just kind of, like, out of it. Um, so it just makes that, like, when she goes to that meeting and the, the woman's like, you're a terrible writer, like, I don't see, you don't have any talent at all. It's like she's really been avoiding her own thing. So uh-huh. I just, like, I didn't want it to, her to seem like a weak character necessarily, just someone who's, like, just in a really kind of bad spot that's so, like, nebulous that she doesn't even know um, what it is, you know? And that trait is some is sort of, like, double-edged where, like, that kind of being really like available or generous is mm-hmm. also a can be a way of like cropping up a like IOUs yeah for, like totally in friendships and then you start to feel kind of bitter towards the friends even though yeah. you're like I'm being a good friend because I bought you lunch the other day and you're like I don't think it works that way right you know like that's not what it means to uh, be a good friend and also the dynamics of like what the other actors brought and stuff like that thing you get a little older and you're like who am I actually hanging out with like, right. why are we such good friends? Like, we don't even listen to each other anymore when we hang out. Right. Um, so a lot of, like, her character came from that, like how she reacted to, you know, these kind of bigger-than-life characters and then, you know, more grounded stuff with Drew. But I think, yeah, the characters kind of built around each other a lot. I read somewhere that you said that Dory oh. felt like you when you were <laughs> younger. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Can you talk about that a bit or maybe what's changed? Yeah. I mean, when I was young, I think there were, I had some qualities like that where I was kind of a pushover because I just never wanted to cause, like, trouble with my friends. I was just talking about this last night, actually, like, friends versus family, though, like, where, like, you know, if there's only, like, one cookie left or something and your friends are there, you're like, oh, dude, take the cookie. I don't even need the cookie. I never <laughs> wanted it. I didn't even like it when I had it. Trust me, take it. You know, and then it's like, if it's my brother, I'm like, I'm taking that cookie because you ate all the other cookies. I'm like, I'm never getting you're never allowed to have cookies. You don't yeah. deserve cookies. <laughs> like, you know, you, like, hate them so much. And it's all about, like, survival. But at the end of the day, like, you know, not to have to compare friendships with family, but, like, I would do anything for my brother 
And I would do a lot for my friends. But, you know, it's a little different. I'd be like, sorry, I'd pick my brother in a, right. a lineup if I have to. <laughs> um, but, like, <laughs> that what was even the question. Oh, yeah, it was when I was younger. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think I used to be a little, like, it's still happening to this day where you, like, where you try to define <laughs> what friendships, like, mean to you, you know, right. and, like, what it actually means to be a good friend and those kind of things. So when I was younger, I, I did get that confused. I had, like a mean best friend when I was younger mm-hmm. and like had a pattern of like being friends with this like one girl who's just like so like pushy to me and like we'd have fun because she was kind of dangerous and exciting but then she'd like call me names and, and like just be like straight up mean when I was like 13 I was like what mm-hmm. the fuck am I doing like hanging out with this girl right and it took me a second but I kind of like had to work out of it and there was something about that um that was, I felt very similar to Dory it's like where you know you don't want to be with this person but you don't like you don't have enough like stamina to like deal with it right then you're just like right. we'll just work through it I guess and it's just such a you know I don't I'm happy to say I'm not like that anymore but Dory definitely is she like put up with a lot of stuff but but then the plot keeps moving so she becomes more active which is nice and she starts like reaching for things she wants for the first time even if they end up being all lies well that's one thing that's so i mean everyone in the show has their own way of like trying to find purpose or like make themselves important and in her case it's really i mean it's about someone else but that almost makes it seem more important even though it really is like about her totally she's like (laughs) i'm selfless like this girl needs help yeah and then she barely knew her yeah (laughs) yeah Is there anything you could tell us about season two? <laughs> I see what this is all about. Um, do some fake kerfuffle. Like, <laughs> um, I honestly, I guess I don't wish I could because, like, it's kind of a yeah, a yeah, plot yeah. twister. But like, we're you know they're just writing them, and I've been giving notes, and we start shooting at the end of the month. Mm-hmm. But um, like the first season, like uh, you know, we have an idea of kind of where it's going, like the end. We don't necessarily do a lot of improving, but we like very much change the scenes and the dialogue to make it make more sense, you know, in the blocking and that kind of stuff. Uh huh. More so than other um, shows I've been on. So yeah, it's like we kind of build it together. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing I would say, which I think is cool, it kind of helps me, um, like style-wise. The first season was kind of like Nancy Drew, mm-hmm. and that's how they made like all the posters look and stuff. Yeah. And, and this season's going to be more like. Hitchcock kind of vibes where it's like a little more like paranoia and like I think they're going to do posters to look like that and stuff which I really love like each thing having some kind of um, proper theme like that so when they said that I was like oh yeah like just like the whole kind of style of like the tone of season two I feel like we'll be a little more in that vein. Oh, that's so fun. Yeah. Were you into mystery books or movies at all before? I wasn't. I mean, I like, like, yeah. film noir stuff, and mm-hmm. I've been watching a lot of them now because they just have really, sometimes they're over the top, but really good, um, you know, like, dynamics, especially with, like, the guy and the girl, and, like, they're, they're, one's hiding something from the other and these kinds of, like, old-fashioned, like, tropes. Um, so I'm always into that because the first season, two had this, like, uh, they were like referencing a lot of things without knowing what they were mm-hmm. you know like it always had this kind of older style even with a, a younger like sensibility in the jokes and stuff but um no I never like read like Nancy Drew books and stuff did you did you like no Hitchcock? yeah but I liked Hitchcock a lot yeah when I was I loved Hitchcock when I was in what, the 50s yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised 
You're just always this age in every generation. <laughs> I have one more question about Search Party. Great. Emily Nussbaum from The New Yorker ah. said Search Party invents a new genre of television. Ah. What makes it so different? What was the genre, did she say? Noir. Sitcom, sitcom noir. noir. Pretending like I didn't read that article. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> uh, that's only they made a cartoon out of my face, I think. Yeah, it's I a nice really illustration. Yeah. I have like a little duckbill face, which I'm into. It's just... <laughs> it's hard when people make pictures of me. Um, yeah, I think that was a... It's a... You know, it's a lot to be like, they created a whole new genre. Like, that's cool. Um, mm-hmm. I'm into that. It It is like a... That's what was the coolest thing about doing the show is like the mystery and the comedy of each scene was just as important, you know? So even when we were making it, I remember being not concerned, but just like aware of like, okay, let's make sure this tone works because one minute we're doing something that's really jokey, like the guy's over for dinner and he vomits all over us and we're like, it's, you know, it's like really jokey at some points and then all of a sudden it's like very serious. Like there's a guy outside my door and I'm yelling at him like, what do you want? And it can't be jokey. So I'm like, as these moments back to back, um, you can only do so much about controlling the tone when you're working on something. Right. You know, like the music, obviously, the editing and the other perform. It all ties together, and it worked really beautifully at the end of the day, but we kind of didn't know. Mm-hmm. But my responsibility, I felt, um, because she's kind of the the driving storyline, was it had to be the most, imp- like, life or death for her, the scenario, you know? So everything was, like, as important as anything is to her. And then, therefore, all the things that happened around it I feel like it can still be funny because there's a base that's like very important and grounded. So it's like nothing's just like, well, if we find her, we find her. It's like, right. if I don't find her, my life's over. You know, it got to that point, which is, as you said, like she thinks it's to help this person, but it completely became about herself. And at the end, you obviously see she's like the most selfish person out of everybody. Yeah, I think the genre, I think that's what's kind of cool is mixing two styles together. Mm-hmm. And there haven't been a lot of mystery stuff. And you know, not to toot uh, Search Party's horn, but there's been a lot of... But I'll toot it. <laughs> there, um, there's been a lot of shows and friends of mine who are working on new shows and stuff, and they say a lot of the people in the writers' rooms and stuff are like, we wanted to have a kind of Search Party vibe, mm-hmm. which is, like, so flattering, you know, because you make anything a little in the dark. Like, there's so many goddamn TV shows out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, even if you are you get a cartoon made out of you. It's like, cool, but, like, there's just so much, and there's so much good TV. Yeah. Um, but I think that was what's part of it, too, is that people responded to, there was a newness about it, which is, is harder these days. I'm into the genre. Yeah, yeah. me too. Yeah. <laughs> I also just watched your new movie, which comes out the week that we're recording this. Uh, oh, yeah. Paint It Black, yes. written and directed by Amber Tamblyn. Whoop, whoop. Which is a really, uh, seems emotionally exhausting mm-hmm. to have made. Um, can you tell us a bit about what it's about and who you play and what it was like to uh, be that intense all the time? Yes. <laughs> I know all my friends who are, like, coming to see it tonight, they're like, what's it about? I'm like, I'm, like, crying a lot, and then I'm drunk. Like, it's okay. It's good. But I'm, like, I'm just, like, really a hot mess in it. Um, yeah, it's a, it's based off of a, a book by Janet Finch. Um, I play a girl named Josie. My boyfriend, it's not really a giveaway, but... Uh, commit suicide mm-hmm. and it's about how his mother and I without knowing each other start to handle his suicide and it's uh, just about the way we are handling our grief in a very troubled way uh, Janet McTeer plays the mother and she's, she's like amazing. she's so fucking cool man and her energy too and just in life is 
infectious to be around. She was really inspiring uh, actor and, and just like person to be, you know, she's just like quite the energy of like, don't let anyone tell you what I do, you know, I was like, <laughs> yes, I love you. Um, but uh, yeah, and so Amber had, you know, thought about this, had read the book and was going to star in it originally and, you know, had been working on the script for a long time and it took a lot of time to get things together, sadly as it does sometimes for an independent film with a woman director, a uh, woman cast, but um, she's so, uh, I'm so proud of her. Um, more than anything I'm really happy with the movie but I'm so proud of her because you know she's like a poet as well and uh, you know writes amazing poetry and it's it's a funny thing to say like someone who was able to edit poetry in a film or like to put poetry in a film because the film is kind of a metaphorical whatever poet a uh, poem in a way but she really um, her sensibility is very much in it it's not just like a melodrama which it could easily be she has like a very strong stylistic choice that she put in, like just took some like cool risks that I was like so happy with that she did. Yeah, it was an intense film at the, you know, it's a drama, so it's like it seems intense. I was having fun on set, like me and Amber were like fucking around. Um, but I was going through a breakup at the time mm-hmm. and it kind of worked perfectly <laughs> while it was right. happening. Like the idea of like wanting to be with someone, but you can't and they're driving you crazy. And and I talked to Amber about it the whole time. She was like, fuck that guy. Just, like, put it in this. And I was mm-hmm. like, yeah, that's, you know, I was so happy to have it. I was like, oh, this is perfect emotion. I just got off the phone with him. Let's go <laughs> shoot. <laughs> um, and then by the end of it, I felt, like, really relaxed, actually. I was like, oh, I really exhausted myself of all those, like, obsess- obsessive thoughts and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, comedies are a little easier to shoot because about, it's about, like, maintaining energy and, like, having a back and forth with somebody. But I'm absolutely, I'm, I'm happy with it. Yeah, it turned out pretty cool, I think. Do you find that you seek out um, experiences like that for mm. that reason? In to, like, way? use them? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Sometimes too much so, though. Um, yeah. It's something <laughs> to be, it's like to be aware of. Yeah. Uh, for sure. Especially, like, you know, I'm 28 now. I've been acting since I was, like, a kid. In a way, maybe it's become habitual. You know, I'm like, which right. one happens first? Like, any moments that happen... I'm naturally going to use that, like, emotional tank and be mm-hmm. like, which one fits? The- oh, this one. This one's great, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's something to be, like, you know, making sure you're not creating things to use it. Um, a friend of mine who was an actor who I really like was, like, he's, like, for him, he's, like, when my personal life and work, like, creativity, like, the art of making stuff and my personal, like, life are kind of, like on the same page with each other he feels like it's a success and it's kind kind of come to be true with with stuff that I write I wish I write more but I like wrote a film with my friend uh, Miguel Arteta and so and we made that and that was like a project I was the most excited about because it was like so personal stuff but it was all pulling from stuff I was kind of dealing with at that moment not as like clean cut as like I'm going through a breakup and so I'm sad right. it was more like I have a hard time opening up to people, and so does this character. And, like, the neuroses that she had were very much, like, slightly exaggerated versions of what I've been trying to, like, hide from people. Like, no, I'm just chill. Like, I don't have issues. Um, So in that way, it's kind of, like, therapeutic. Like, you got to use the stuff to kind of, like, work through it. And then afterwards, it feels this kind of, like, release. Like, well, at least I'm not trying to hide it. Like, I admitted it was real and actually performed it and acted it out. I think it's healthy for like writers too or people who are like something's happening and they like kind of write about it and then get rid of it you know right 
But yeah, it's a, it's a tricky line. You have to be careful with who you hurt, I guess. Right. What that risk is. Yeah. Yeah. Who do you want to hurt the most? Yeah. <laughs> That's what I ask myself. <laughs> um, you know, the list fluctuates. Yeah. <laughs> who do you want to hurt the most? Yeah, it's about wielding that power mm-hmm. economically. Right. <laughs> if I hurt them and then them, <laughs> it'll be great. Um, can you tell us more about that project? Yeah. It's called Duck Butter. Ooh. Which is a fun, gross little name that anytime I tell someone what it is, they're just like, oh, there's like a curious. If you look it up, it's in the Urban Dictionary. Uh, we'll wait while you check. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a film I started writing like, we started writing the idea like five years ago. And Miguel and I were, you know, busy in our own right, so we'd kind of come back to it and stuff. And it was like a completely different movie than it is now five years ago, but... It was originally written um, for a guy, about a guy and a girl who spend 24 hours together. And as we were getting closer to it, we just made these kind of like bold changes. And one of them being, you know, we had kind of met with a bunch of guy actors who were overwhelmed by the concept because it's a very intimate movie. It's like outlined and uh, so it's like improvised, but like with a detailed outline of like what happens. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of sex in it, a lot of like sharing real secrets and stuff to like get to know each other and all the guys were like really nervous about it they were like okay so like you and i would be right yeah totally and i would be sitting there at lunch like yeah (laughs) i started to feel like a prostitute i was like this doesn't feel right um and then um i don't know in what order but there's this film i had seen called victoria which is so great. Have you seen that movie? No, my friend was telling me that the other night. Really? Crazy. Oh, yeah. you got to see it. It's one of the best films, and it's shot all in one shot. And this girl, the lead actress, her name's Laia Costa, uh, we had seen it, and we are just like, this person's amazing and so amazing to watch. And then also we had kind of come up with this format that you don't necessarily can tell when we make it, and that's not it's not like a selling point. We're not like, and we did this. But the second act of the movie we shot in 24 hours. Um, Whoa. Yeah, not like the camera rolling all the time, but where each hour we could only do that one segment, you know, where we have like a paragraph that says like, uh, this is where they like are like in the bed and they each tell a secret about their mom and they're like eating a mango or whatever. And mm-hmm. then, then we like do our version of it and we do like two takes and then we do a third one where we just kind of like go with whatever our instincts are. Uh, so we did that and we stayed up from like 8 p.m. till 8 p.m. the next day. And because within the story, that's it's like these two girls who are like, fuck dating for like five years and slowly getting to know each other. Let's just like go in 24 hours straight and see what happens. And she's a little more of like an open, like artistic kind of gal. And I'm more neurotic and have a hard time saying what I mean. So I was like, sure, I guess. <laughs> and, uh, and then it's about like what happens when people are that, you know, forced to be that intimate right away when it's like too soon. Um, but I, I skipped a part. So anyway, we decided to be like, Miguel was like, what if Laya plays uh, Sergio, which is like the other lead character? And I was so like, wait, what? <laughs> and it completely solved all the problems we had in the script. All really? of a sudden I was like, well, I don't want to see a penis that much anyway. <laughs> how can a guy stay hard that much? You know, and it's like, not the, that was uh-huh. the main point, the sex stuff, but it be, I realized that the movie would have been so different. It would have been about like, men and women are different in yeah, relationships, right. you know, and it's like, that's a story, but it's not the one I wanted to tell. You know, it was much more about like the subtleties of people saying they're in when really inside they're not. And the other person's like, are you in? Do you care about me? Like, are you, are you okay? And you're like, yes, I am. <laughs> and like still not being able to be yourself, you know. 
Um, so Laya hopped on board and she was so into the concept of the 24 hour thing because it just felt like a play that went on for a long time. But then we were like exhausted and crazy and it comes across in the performances, <laughs> I think, in a great way. But uh, yeah, so she came, you know, we rehearsed it with some of the camera crew for like, you know, leaving one location, going to the next. Um, it was like the most, I put like all my my uh, self into it, you know, like it's very, meant a lot to me. And yeah, now we're almost done editing. Oh, wow. Yeah, which is like terrifying. But um, huh. I think it turned out really good. Are you really involved in the editing? I, start, I was working, so I wasn't able to be in there from the beginning. But then the last couple months, I've been like peeking in and giving notes. But it's so, so hard. I've never been on this side of it. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, so hard to, like, kill your babies. This is one of the terms, I guess. So I'm like, let's change that. <laughs> Darlings, yeah, kill not your babies. Darling. No, kill your children. No. Um, but it's, like, these, yeah, these scenes, I was like, but what about that scene? That was the best scene there was. And they're like, well, right. I was kind of killing the story because we had to move on. And I was like, well, okay, yeah, I miss it. But, you know, it's, like, it's hard. And then also, yeah. like, when you're seeing yourself on it, it's a, it's a trickier thing. But... It's encouraged me to be like, oh, I want to, like, direct stuff now, and I want to do that kind of stuff now. Mm-hmm. Just, like, throw yourself into it. But, yeah, I'm the most excited and nervous about what people think about this one because it's just, like, more of myself, so it's right. a bigger risk. But, oh, it yeah. sounds great. Yeah. I think oh, I like man. It. When you talk about um, improvising this much, I mean, in mm-hmm. any of these, it, like, really freaks me out. And then I remember you have, like, the craziest, like, comedy training, right. like, ever. <laughs> Child um, training. <laughs> you played maybe okay. on Arrested Development. I did. Starting when you were 13? Yeah. 13 um, when I did the pilot, yeah. What was it like working with like so many um, funny geniuses at such a young age? It was chill. And being one yourself. <laughs> Thank you. But without knowing it yet, for years <laughs> to come. Yeah, I mean, it was a really fun job, obviously. Like, when I was 13, I met Michael, Mike Sarah, who plays George Michael, and we just kind of hit it off, and all our scenes were together, so we just became, like, really good friends right away, so it was great. we just, like, joke about whatever the fuck um, children joke about, you know? <laughs> um, but we just, like, had such a fun time just, like, being on set, being like, yeah, do you ever think about this? Like, you know, and then they're like, okay, well, we got to do the scene, and we're like, okay. Like, very unaware of, like, you know, the script is great, and the writers are yeah. great. Like, we had no concept at all. We're just like, whatever. Um, but then when we started doing the show, it was like, you know, the same kind of thing. Like, we'd be paired up a lot, and we always made each other laugh, you know? Um, so whether it was, like, in the context of the show or not. But being around, you know, I think we've talked about this, Michael and I, as we've gotten older, we're like, when they said that we were going to do a fourth season for Netflix that we did a couple years ago, we sat down and watched all the episodes together because we hadn't seen them like since they had aired and we were like we gotta see what this thing is and like we're watching it and we're like this show's pretty good we're like this show's great <laughs> uh, and, and we realized how funny it was and like just like really enjoyed it as like kind of fans which was so nice because I think when we're in it especially as kids um, at least for me I was like like Jason and Will and, and Jeffrey and David all these people who were so funny and they would pretty much talk to us like we were adults on set it wasn't mm-hmm. you know um, sometimes people would be condescending, but, uh, you know, we're children. So, um, looking back, I'm like, yeah, we were fucking kids. I wouldn't hang out with me either. <laughs> but they were like, they were pretty chill, but they were like, you know, just their sense of, they wouldn't curb themselves at all. So, uh, any jokes they make or the way they'd fuck with each other in some kind of gross manner, um, that maybe would be deemed inappropriate for like 15 year olds was like not, you know. <laughs> And me and Michael, like, understood all the jokes. So I don't, know, I don't know which one came first, but we did kind of develop a sensibility of just being, like, 
you know, you're hanging out with the group of like, it felt like hanging out with the cooler, older kids. And you're just like in the group laughing too. And then they look to you and you say one thing and they're like, yeah, okay, you're still in, you know? And you're like, oh, thank God. Oh my God. Yeah. I remember Jeffrey always used to do this thing and I've seen him a lot and he's like the sweetest man. But when we would, because we went to a lot of award shows, even though nobody knew about the show. We went to so many award shows when we were young. <laughs> and I remember we were at the, like the SAG Awards or something and we lost to like Desperate Housewives. And Jeffrey looked at me with all seriousness and he's like, we lost because of you. He's like, you're the weakest link of the show. And I was like, ah, okay, what? And he's like, yeah. And then he just like kept going on the night. And I was like, I was super insecure at 16 anyways. I was yeah. like, my boobs are bigger than every part of my body and I hate it. And like, I was like really uncomfortable. Like, it was just so awkward. And so when he said that, I was like, God damn it, Jeffrey. <laughs> but like, they would do that kind of shit. They would like fuck with us. Because we were so, like, innocent and, like, yeah, you know, and, but I've, yeah. I've given him shit for it since. But it's just, like, it's a, it was much more, it was a very classic family dynamic. Mm-hmm. We definitely, like, even though we were, you know, mature for our age in some ways, we weren't mature in the sense, which I think is good, of being, like, hey, I'm 17, but we're all cool, like, right? Like, oh, this weekend, it was a rager. Like, no, like, me and Michael went to Cheesecake Factory every night with our moms, you know? <laughs> like, we were just very normal 16-year-olds in that kind of environment, which I'm so happy about. Like, yeah. we just never tried to match up to their kind of vibe. Uh-huh. And uh, it created a kind of like a just, yeah, real family dynamic. I think everyone was very protective of us in a nice way. Like, it was cool. I think of you and Michael, actually, as, like, um, way more, like, zen and, like, smart and chill than, like, yeah. most people I encounter. <laughs> hey. um, in any Hear that, Michael? <laughs> Michael? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, how do you like do what you want and not become like uh, bitter and unpleasant about how um, annoying it is working in Ugh. showbiz? Showbiz. <laughs> I mean, it's still freaking annoying and, and hard sometimes, but I think that what specifically me and Michael were very lucky to be a part of something like that at an early age. And. Um, by the way, I think you're very chill and zen as well. Because I <laughs> think there's a... <laughs> well, let's just keep it that way. Don't show me your other <laughs> Um But there, I think, is something to be said about doing something you want at a young age when it's really something you want. And if you're lucky enough to be put in the kind of right environment, like, Rest of Velma is what, like, one of the best written shows there is. And we were so young, we just auditioned for it. And it was kind of the timing all worked out, and we mm-hmm. were drawn to it, and they were drawn to us. So because of it... It made, like, doing other stuff, like, we just were able to see through it. We're like, well, this is good, but it's not great, and I only want to do stuff on this level because I just did that. Like, yeah. And also because we were younger and we're lucky to have good families, we weren't like, I need this job. You mm-hmm. know, it was very much like, if I want to work, I get to. You know, I'm still thinking about maybe going to college. You know, it, there right. wasn't this kind of, like, extremity of, like, we need this work. Um, and, you know, a big part of that had to do with our families. But because of that, you know, I, I remember when I turned 18 after the show wrapped, I, like, didn't work for a year. I, like, moved to New York then. It was just, like, a different time. I was, like, doing other stuff. I was, like, living in New York, like, going to, you know, museums stoned by myself, being mm-hmm. like, I'm living the dream. <laughs> and and it was great, but it was, uh, I think there was something to be said, and, you know, Michael was, like, that's when like Juno came out super bad and he was like all over the place all of a sudden but I really admire the way 
everyone's career is so different in the biz, <laughs> but it's about like knowing when something kind of feels right and following that instinct. Like there's times when you really feel like working a lot and you're like, I'm gonna go be all over the place. I'm gonna work back to back and, and you know, but the key to it, I think that we were lucky to be kind of blessed with is like an instinct to work with people you like. And so because of it now, since then, like now it's been 10 years um, since we wrapped the first season, first three, which is crazy. But, you know, there's times I struggled too where I was like, this doesn't make sense. I don't want to be that kind of actress. Like, I'm not going to be like, she's quirky. Like, <laughs> and she's smart. You know, I was just like, no, I don't, I'm not that. I was like, it's just not what I've seen before. Um, so you kind of just have to make it specific to yourself. And Michael, I really admire the way, like, the way he reached out to Sebastian Silva, you know, who's like now one of my best friends, an amazing filmmaker. He like saw his film and was like, I'm going to work with this guy and has made now like three films with him that it's like some of his best, you know, roles. Michael even more so than me. I like I've had to take me a little more time to get to it, but it takes that kind of like confidence. It's a different kind of confidence instead of being like, I want to be all over the place and be like the lead of all these movies, which he totally could have done. And instead he was like, no, I want to do stuff that like I actively am going to be enjoying while I'm on the set. It's not about the reaction of anything, which is the key to any art. It's like, you got to enjoy making it and feel like you're coming up with good ideas while you're making it. Otherwise, what's the point? Because you have no idea how people are going to respond to stuff. Yeah. I mean, like, how many times, like, I'm like, oh, this is the most commercial movie I've done. This is going to hit, you know? And, like, <laughs> this will be great because then I could do other movies and no one sees it. And then the movie, I'm like, oh, no one's ever going to fucking see this thing. And then, like, people see it, you know? So it's like, you don't, I have no concept of it. But yeah. I've made so many great friends through the jobs I've done over the past 10 years that now the more confidence and grounding I feel in making stuff, I'm like, I'm just going to use all my friends, yeah. you know? And it's, like, the best thing if you get to a point where you're just like, dude, I want to make this movie that you wrote, and, like, so-and-so will be in it, so-and-so will be in it. It's, like, that's kind of the dream that I'm looking for for the next 10 years is to just, like, make a little, make this group work. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that sounds really nice. You're in the group, too. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I was getting at. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to um. make postcards and <laughs> <laughs> well, it does. That also all seems like why it must be really nice to also be a painter and singer yeah. and like have things you can do that are like you're not waiting to get hired. They're like in your control. Totally. Um, when did you get into painting? Um, about the time when I was 18, mm-hmm. when I wasn't working as an actor and had a supportive boyfriend who was like, you should use my parents' basement in Jersey and like. Uh, there's a canvas there and there's a bunch of scraps of stuff on the floor you could use and I always doodled um, on notebooks and stuff and I yeah I just went in there and it's like so much came out of me mm-hmm. uh, not literally but uh, <laughs> you know through my expression um, and it was great it was such a, a big part of, uh, of like myself I hadn't tapped into or whatever yeah I was super into it and now it's a very big part of my life so anytime yeah I'm not shooting and I, I do that, and, yeah, I'm always, like, thinking about, like, when when I wrap this, I'll finally get to paint. And then right. all of a sudden a year passed, and I was like, wait, what? Did I paint? <laughs> <laughs> like, it's hard to take the time. It's a very different thing. But you just feel the same way when you're, like, writing versus, like, being in a play or something. It's, like, such a different energy. Yeah. At one I moment know. you're like, hey, everybody. Like, you're putting it out, you know, and trying to stay, like, hyper kind of. And then the next second, you just are, like, trying to, like, reflect on everything that's happened. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's a hard transition sometimes. 
Talia is a grown-up, in case you didn't notice, so she will also answer a couple questions for Ask a Grown right after this break. Shawkat is an actor, painter, singer, and producer, and as we've heard earlier in the show, she's also, at 28 years old, a grown-up. So, we asked her a couple questions sent to us by rookies in need of help. Abby says... I am an 18-year-old girl looking to make platonic male friends. The problem is that I tend not to be very confident around boys. This is not because I like them. I'm actually a lesbian. It's just that I've had a lot of body issues in my life. I've had anorexia, bulimia, and now I feel like I'm just fat. I always feel like guys are judging me or deciding if they should talk to me based on how I look. How can I get them to get past the fact that I am not particularly attractive? How do I get over my own nervousness and fear that they will reject me as a potential friend because I'm not a size four? I realize that the number probably means nothing to you. Thanks. Well, Abby, what's up, girl? Um, <laughs> you know, um, I think that's it's really interesting you're saying how it's about just making friends, like genuine friends, like platonic ones, because... Um, Sadly, but it's the truth. You know, when I was younger, I totally went through, like, body dysmorphia kind of stuff. Um, Nothing seemed to fit. Um, I also had, I don't know if you're going through this too, but, like, wanting to dress like a boy, but feeling like I had to be a little more feminine and just not feeling confident in, in, you know, clothes feel so gross sometimes when you're that age. Um, But, you know, when it comes to, like, friends, when... Obviously, it starts from, you know, within you, from feeling, like, grounded in yourself, because those are the only people you're going to want to end up hanging out with. Um, If anyone is, you know, you feel reacting kind of differently to you based off of something superficial like that, you really don't want to hang out with that crowd. And sometimes it's something I did at a young age that was kind of a defense mechanism, but helped me make friends was I just joke about uh, my insecurities. And you know, not to be light about them because they are serious and we have to learn how to like love ourselves and we're learning that every day as we get older. But there's something about sharing because everybody has these insecurities and it's like, especially these like these guys, like they're more insecure than you probably ever could be. So there's something about like playing with it and joking about it that like, can bring a lightness and that you realize that when you kind of put them aside for a second, um, you'll be able to connect with someone on a uh, on a level that's uh that's like kind of playful and like genuine you know it doesn't matter what size you are you just like gotta know you're you're beautiful and i'm not saying that's the easiest thing but like you sound pretty cute to me do you want to do another one yeah why not this one's from hannah my best friend is the kind of person that everybody loves right away and i know it's just her personality but sometimes it makes me feel like a shitty person I know that people like me, but usually not right away. I'm pretty reserved until I get comfortable around someone. This sucks because, especially at school, people tend to write me off as a nice girl based on their first impression and don't bother getting to know me. This is especially annoying when it comes to boys. I feel like if I wasn't so shy at first, a lot more people would think I'm interesting. Is there a way to be more confident when meeting new people? Thanks. That's a really good question. Um, I had a best friend like that, too who I was still very good friends with. Um, but I was always the kind of awkward one who would be like, 
making like silly jokes that people didn't really think were funny, but she did. But everyone like love her. Everyone had crushes on her, and she was like the life of the party. And she had so many friends. She was so comfortable in herself. Um, and she inspired me to feel confident because when I was with her, I felt more confident. But literally, she would go to the bathroom sometimes at a party, and I would just shut down. I'll be like, oh, okay, I'll just wait till she gets back, and uh, then I'll continue <laughs> being myself. Um, and it was, you know, it was, it was kind of tricky. And then what it took, you know, the idea of confidence seems so like, ah, oh, I ran out of confidence. I got to go to the store and pick some more up. Like, you know, it's not this kind of tangible thing. It, it grows in such subtle ways, uh, kind of unexpectedly. Um, by doing things that are kind of scary to you or things like certain accomplishments or working on something or just like whatever, helping out your parents do something, like little things like that, in a way, kind of they build your confidence because you realize that your identity is separate from everybody else. It's, it's really about you building it within yourself. Um, I think it's it's chill to be like a little distant right away. You know, you won't always want to be kind, but I think that means, you know, at least the way I interpret it when I was like that, is that you're more of an observer. You kind of want to see people, who they're like, what they're about, how they talk to other people, how they act, before you're willing to just, like, share your, like, real stuff. Um, you know, and it's kind of like a double-edged sword. Like, my friend who was really outgoing, her other side was that she would get too close to people, and then they ended up being kind of whack. And she'd get hurt more, you know, and, and feel like she was sharing too much of herself and then same with me like I felt like I got to know people better and so the friendships I had were very genuine but then yeah sometimes I'd be like oh I feel like I missed out on opportunity because I wasn't like on right away um it's gonna change especially as you get older like out of high school it's a very strange social dynamic there but I think like you're good I think you should just like observe people and then when you see something that really like turns your brain on or whatever from somebody else then engage with them and then ask all kinds of questions. I mean, that's the only way to get to know people. Some people have told me I asked too many questions, like, and told me to shut up. And now we're great friends because of it, though. <laughs> I just, like, ask as many questions as possible and see if people answer them. I think curiosity is the best way to get to know people because, like, other people's stories are more interesting than your own after a while. Care to do one more, yeah, actually? Yeah, I'm into it. This is Masha from Los Angeles. She says... Lately, I've been feeling like I have no idea what I'm going to do with my life. It seems like everyone around me knows exactly what they're going to be and what careers they want to pursue, but I just feel stuck. There are so many things in life I'd like to accomplish, but I'm not even sure where to begin. I'm only a sophomore in high school, though I'm already being asked what I want to major in and what job I would like. How am I supposed to answer questions about my future when I don't know who I am yet? How can I stop feeling so anxious from all the pressure that's being put on me to make these decisions? Will I ever figure out who I am and what I want? Thank you. God, these listeners are so smart. I know. Oh, it's beautiful. Um, so, first of all, I think, fuck that. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, <laughs> I think it's crazy. My, I have a little brother. He's 22 now. But I remember when he was going through this stuff. And my bro is one of those kids who's, like, good at everything with, like, one eye closed. You know, he was like, oh, I didn't study whatever, but I aced it. Like, he's too smart for his own good. So, he... Could had like he was good at everything, and because of that, you know now that he's like finishing college, he's a little more on track now. But even you know he was going going through something where it was the first time I ever saw him be a little like questioning of himself because he's like overly confident this kid, and he was like, "What if I don't like know what I want to do?" And he was like, "It's important." Like I was like, "He's like it's important to me. I want to like make money. I want to be able to take care of myself." Um, he's like, "But." 
I feel a lot of pressure from mom and dad and like this thing to, you know, be successful, especially now everyone's like 11 year old billionaire you know what I mean it's like it's crazy it's so crazy and I'm like first of all who wants to peak that young um but the advice I would give because that stuff's always you know bothered me like I didn't go to college it wasn't for me um but you know being a sophomore in high school you don't have to decide anything I think all you need to focus on is like what excites you you know, looking back at that time, you know, I mean, I was acting at that age, but I had wished I was more um, followed my instincts again about curiosity. Like back then, if I just kind of like stopped worrying about how I looked as much and all these things, because obviously it's that's the a big focus when you're in high school, I would have a, more of a freedom to be like, I want to like learn this thing. So by the time I'm 28, I'm like, really good at playing the flute or whatever <laughs> you know like little things that kind of like that you're really curious about um whether they have anything to do with like a fiscal future or like an idea of a career um i think is important to kind of like let yourself get lost in those things and you know trust your instincts because at the end of the day i think that's the most important thing no matter how old you are people are still trying to trust their instincts because habits get made at an early age when you're told by other people where you got to go and what you got to do well, you got to make money to survive, otherwise you'll die. And you're like, okay, yeah, but I'll also die if I'm doing some job that, like, kills me every day. So I think now is, like, kind of a great time to, even if you have a lot of pressure from everywhere else, try to breathe and kind of separate yourself from it and be like, right, but how am I going to take care of myself right now? What am I really curious about? What books am I fascinated about, you know? Now it's time to, like, absorb knowledge and, like, trust me, trust me, trust me. If you trust yourself the window will open up. It just does. And you'll be like ready to hop into it. Um, and I believe that, you know, so much because I'm still trying to do it all the time where all of a sudden there's like a, the river crosses or whatever separates. You get the metaphor. It's like a fork. Right. <laughs> um, and I'm just like, I guess I've been told I'm supposed to do this. I'm supposed to do this kind of job. And I'm supposed to, I guess it would be easier if I did this. And a lot of people seem to like this and everyone else does it. And when I go against that decision sometimes and I'm like, no, but there's something in me that says like, gotta stay home and write or gotta go take this trip, you know, by myself somewhere. Um, it always, it's always worth it. So yeah, I think you're doing fine. And I think the fact that you realize that everyone's being a little crazy and like hyper about this is the best sign. <laughs> yeah, people are nuts. <laughs> yes, they are. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much yeah. for being here. Thank you. So honored. You make me laugh. Hey. Thanks again to Alia Shawkat for being on the show today and to you rookies for sending us your questions. If you haven't sent us a question yet, you can get on that right now by emailing it to youaskedit at rookiemag.com, along with your first name or nickname, your age, and your location. And if you'd like to hear your voice on the show, you can record your question on your phone or computer, keep it to about a minute long, and email it to us at podcast at rookiemag.com. There are a lot of ways to listen to this podcast on the website or through whatever podcast app you use, but the most useful feedback we get is on the Apple Podcasts app. So... 
If you are so inclined, open it up and rate and review The Rookie Podcast because it really helps us as a show and it helps other people find it. And we read every single one of them. As of this recording, there are 107 of them and we would love more. And if you're like, I already tweeted at you guys, Instagrammed, wrote an iTunes review, and I'm super bored and I want to support The Rookie Podcast even more... You can always just go to an Apple store, make Rookie the homepage on all of the devices, and leave. And that's what we call um, viral street marketing. So thank you in advance. Thank you. No, but seriously, thank you for listening to the show. I'm Toby Gevinson, and next week we'll hear from Lisa Hanawalt, the comedic genius producer, illustrator, and production designer of BoJack Horseman. Now it's sort of like, well, like, who cares? Just love what you love. And I feel like yes. everyone's kind of tapping back into their childhood uh fantasies and obsessions a little bit because nobody's going to make fun of them for it anymore. You really won't want to miss it. So see you next week. You can find us at rookiemag.com, rookiepodcast.mtv.com, and at rookiemag on Twitter and Instagram. I'm on Twitter and Instagram as at tavitool, T-A-V-I-T-U-L-L-E. I'll regret that spelling forever. Plus, check out podcasts.mtv.com and at MTV Podcasts on Twitter and Instagram for more shows from the MTV Podcast Network. This episode of Rookie was produced by Mukta Mohan, Michael Gatano, and Kesha Mihailovic of the MTV Podcast Network. Thanks to Lauren Redding for making the Rookie Podcast happen. And thanks to Lena Singer for picking advice question and to Shamir for the Rookie theme song. Thanks to Maria Eniskel for the portraits and doodles, to Cynthia Merhej for Rookie's logo, to Hattie Stewart for the logo doodles, and to Beth Heckel for the jewels.